0: You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Annette and I were away on vacation last week, and one of the things that we decided to do with some friends of ours was to get in a very small plane, a six-seat plane, and we flew around to see some sights. And honestly, I'm not very comfortable in a small plane. I have an aversion to small planes. I never want to get in a small plane. But everybody else wanted to go, and I hated to be the person that said, you know what, I'm going to stay back, you guys go. I was afraid they wouldn't go, and I just I just felt the pressure, and I just said, you know, I'm going to do it. So so we did, and it wasn't as bad as other experiences have been, and the pilot was kind of funny, and he helped a lot. He says to me at one point, he says, hey, Rick, do you know what the prop is for? And I said, well, I think I know what the prop is for. He said, well, let me tell you if you're not sure. The prop is there to keep the pilot cool. He said, because if the prop ever stops, the pilot starts sweating. So keep that in mind for a minute. And let me tell you that we have a lady in our church. Her name is LaWanda Allison. Okay. And she recently turned 90. She's a very stately pretty lady. She must have the same aversion to airplanes that I have because on her 90th birthday, she jumped out of hers. And so that's a picture of a Lamanda. That's wild and out there, is it not? You know, when I, when I reflect on this series that I'm in in these last few weeks that I've been preaching to you, I, I feel like what I'm asking you to do is jump with me. Take, take a leap. I've been telling you that I've been dreaming about our church and about our future together. And about what God wants to do through us. And I've been dreaming about us going deeper in our relationship with Jesus to the point. That we have a desire that burns inside of us that says, I want people to know Jesus like I know Jesus. I want it really bad. To the point that we're not very good at keeping quiet about Jesus. To the point that we're always praying for somebody who needs Jesus in their life. And we're just a church that just wants to be that kind of church where people who don't go to church would love to go. Here's why. Jesus has a profound impact on people's lives when they meet him. Jesus has a profound impact on people's lives when they meet him. And when I think about the brokenness in our world, man, our world needs Jesus. Did, did you see any of the news or read online this week about the hearing of the young boy who shot all of those people in church on a Wednesday night in South Carolina? And at the hearing, relatives, Christians, of family members who were killed said to Dylan Roof, Dylan, we forgive you. And we want you to know Jesus like we know Jesus. This is what our world is hurting for. How countercultural is that? This is who Jesus calls us to be. So. I want to take you back to John this morning, chapter 1, okay? We're going to start with verse 43. You say, we've been in John 1 for a while. Well, we might be there for a little while, but it's good. We're going to learn and grow because of it. Here's what's going on. John tells the narrative like this. There's a guy named John the Baptist. John the writer, the apostle, is writing, and he talks about John the Baptist. He points Jesus out, and he says to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God, right there he is. Who takes away the sins of the world. What he was really saying as a rabbi who has disciples was, I know you're following me, but I think you should follow him. That was uncommon. I know you're following me, but I think you should follow him. Go hear what he has to say. And so two of John's disciples followed Jesus. Jesus realizes they are following him. And he turns around and he says, what do you want? And so I've been asking you the question for three weeks. Are you a follower of Jesus? What do you want? Why are you following Jesus? What is it you're looking for? And the disciples said, Jesus, it's not what we want, it's who we want, and the who we want is you. We want to know you, we want to be in your presence, we want to spend time with you. And so Jesus says, well, then come on, come and see. And John says they spent the entire day hanging out with Jesus. And after spending an entire day with Jesus, the first thing Andrew does, one of those disciples, is he goes and he tells his brother Peter and he brings him to Jesus. I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus. I've been with Jesus. And I can't wait for you to be with Jesus. You understand that our desire to connect other people with Jesus has to come out of our own deep relationship with Him ourselves. It comes from nowhere else. So that takes us to verse 43. You ready? Here we go. So the next day, he has said that three times. He's given us a day-by-day account of Jesus' ministry. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. So he's in Bethany, and he's going to go north to Galilee, which is 100 miles, and it's a journey on foot. Okay? Okay? So, finding Philip, he said to him, Philip, follow me. It wasn't unusual for a rabbi to say to a young man, follow me, be my disciple, learn from me. So, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. You remember we've been talking about how that names have meaning. Do you know what the name Bethsaida, the name of that village, do you know what that means? It means house of fishing. So it's like a fishing village, okay? So Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I want you to hear this really well, okay? Philip found Nathanael and told him, Andrew finds Peter and tells him. John the Baptist finds Andrew and tells him. Andrew finds Peter and tells him. Philip finds Nathanael and tells him. Nazareth, can anything good come from there, Nathanael asked. And I love these words. Philip said, come and see. I believe this is what Jesus is saying to us. What if you just invited people? Come and see. Why don't you just come for yourself and check it out? Come to what? Come come to the Scripture. Come to a faith conversation. Come over to my house. I'm a Christian. Come to dinner with me. Come to my church. Come to a conversation about who Jesus is. Just, Just check it out for yourself. Pick up a Bible and read. Go online. Come and see. Ever wonder why we don't, more often than we do, invite people to come and see? So when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, not to him, but about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believed because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Well, you're going to see greater things than that. And then he added, verily, verily, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what do you think he means when he says, you're going to see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man? Let's talk about that together, okay? This is God's Word for us today. Amen? When I was getting ready to go to Africa uh, this past year, this past January, I was reading a book called Sons of Africa written by a guy whose name is Elmer Smelsenbaugh, the son of Harman Smelsenbaugh, who a hundred years ago started the work of the Church of the Nazarene in Africa in a small country called Swaziland. As I was reading the book, I was amazed. He goes... There's no church work started, nothing going on that he can build on. He's going to start something. He builds a house to live in. He builds a church to worship in. He builds another building that might be like a medical center. Starts thinking about schools for children. The first six months, nobody becomes a Christian. The next six months, nobody becomes a Christian. He's got a church, but only he and his wife and his kid attend. After two years, nobody has become a Christian. After three years, nobody has become a Christian. I I, I don't know about you, but I think I would be saying to Annette, Annette, it's been two and a half years, and, you know, maybe we should haul it in. Maybe we should just say, we didn't, we didn't make it. But after three years, a lady comes to his house one day and says, where is he? And Harmon says, where's who? She said, Jesus, where do you keep him? If he can do for me what you say he can do, I need him in my life. And that woman and her daughter became the first converts, the first Christians through his ministry. And over the years, through the ministry of the Church of the Nazarene, after that started, thousands and thousands of people in Swaziland and throughout Africa have come to know Jesus Christ. So, when you hear that story, what do you feel inside? See, I I think it's one of those kind of Good feeling stories. It worked out. That's good. It was resolved. But I also think what happens to us as we're working through that is there is tension that builds inside of us. It builds inside of me. Because I don't have the ability not to relate that to my own life and my own soul winning desires. And I think what happens to us is we begin to think about either the people who have or who haven't come to Jesus because of my sharing my faith with them. And we begin to have questions like, I don't think I could wait that long. And I don't think I would be very good at it anyway. I don't know that I have the ability to convince, to impress, to persuade somebody that Jesus is what they need in their life. And that I would really have like fruit from my trying to do that. And some of you may say all of these years I don't point to anybody that has really become a Christian because of my sharing my faith with them. And so we kind of live with a sense of tension and a not knowing next steps. And what do we do with this calling that God has placed on our lives and this need to share Jesus with the brokenness of our world? But yet I've had no success in that category in my When we go back to the story, we see Jesus saying, I'm going to go to Galilee. It's a 100-mile journey from Bethany. And when he gets there, he finds a guy named Philip. And what he says to Philip is, Philip, follow me. Now, I know the words are ancient. They're 2,000 years old. But I don't think it means that we cannot relate to them in our own lives. Do you remember when you first heard Jesus say to you, I want you to follow me? Where were you? How old were you? What was your response? Did you? Did you say, i got to think about it? And after Jesus has this encounter with Philip, and Philip has been in the presence with Jesus, there becomes this burning. Like Andrew, he cannot keep quiet. Andrew runs and tells his brother Peter, and he brings him to Jesus. And Philip has the same idea with a guy named Nathaniel. And he runs and he tells Nathaniel, and he wants him to come to see Jesus. I want you to know the guy that I know. I was in the presence of Jesus, and I want you to be in the presence of Jesus. I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus, Nathaniel. But it happens only because Nathaniel has been with Christ. I told you a couple of weeks ago that what happens is, you know, preachers are great at saying, you should. I mean, we're awesome at that. We're just, we always tell people what they should do. I hate it when people tell me what I should do. You know what you should do? You should read this book. I'm thinking, well, maybe you shouldn't tell me what I should do. I don't like it. And if I just said, you should witness more, you should share your faith more, that fire is going to burn out really fast. In three weeks, I would need to be saying it again. First, Nathaniel found himself in the presence of Jesus. And because of that encounter, then he runs out and says, "Nathaniel, I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus. And you can't do the latter well without the former. You'll just burn out. My mom was 13 years old. She had never attended church. Had been a few times, but had never, like, This is part of my life. Her family didn't profess to be Christian or anything like that. One day she was in a grocery store in the community she lived in near Chicago, Illinois, a community called Argo. And my mom and my grandmother struck up a conversation with this couple in the church. And the couple says to my mom and my grandmother, Do you guys attend church anywhere? Because if you don't, you would love our church. We go to the Argo First Church of the Nazarene. And my grandmother's immediate response was, we don't have a car, so we wouldn't have any way to come to your church. To which they replied, oh no, we'll come and get you. My mother's name is Cecilia, but she was nicknamed Cecil as a little girl, and that's what everybody called her. And they turned to my mom that day and they said, Cecil, would you like to go to church if we would come and pick you up on Sunday? My mom says, yeah, I would like to go to church. So one day, while they were bringing them home from church, the couple said to my mother and my grandmother, they have youth camp this week for the kids or next week. We wondered if Cecil would want to go. My grandmother's immediate response was, we don't have the money to send Cecil to church camp. Oh, no. We want to pay her way to church camp. Cecil, would you want to go to church camp? My mom says, I would love to go to church camp. And it was that week that my mother met Jesus. Let me tell you what God did through her I mean not only her influence on her family and friendships and that kind of thing but God has used my mom in such a powerful way I remember one Sunday telling you that my mom worked all of her life when we were homeless kids she always worked and she would get up extra early on Saturday and do the laundry and go to the grocery because every Saturday afternoon my mom went fishing not for fish But she would get in the car and she would go to a street in our town and she would just walk up and down the street, knocking on doors, inviting people to Jesus and to church. And I remember we picked up tons of people. I always joke about it. But when I got my driver's license, I got a list of ladies and people who didn't drive that I needed to go bring to church. I showed up with a car full of girls every Sunday. They were all in their 80s, but it was a car full of girls, you know. (laughs) My mom had lived with this burning inside of her that says, I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus. But I also woke up every morning. And man, she's is, she is awesome. Every morning I woke up to the sound of my mom praying. She wasn't bashful about it. She just prayed out loud in the living room, did her devotions every morning. But that's how I woke up most mornings. I heard my mom in there praying. They're going fishing was because of what happened in the mornings. See, I think we we kind of get hung up on that. I don't I don't know how to persuade or convince or do, do you realize that Nathaniel was not persuaded or convinced or impressed? <laughs> Nazareth, are you are you kidding me? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. It was probably a rival town like wherever you grew up, the basketball team at the town closest to you that you rivaled with. Probably a little rivalry going on. He was from Cana and Jesus was from Nazareth. But it was even more than that. Nazareth was a peasant village. The people were poor. They were not distinguished. They were, they were the marginalized of society. I teach membership class. You should come if you've never been. It's a lot of fun. I tell lots of, I think, information that's pertinent. I always ask them, why do you think we call ourselves Nazarenes, the Church of the Nazarene? And they always say the same thing, because Jesus was a Nazarene and we're the Church of Jesus the Nazarene. And I always say, yeah, that's what I thought growing up too. But when I read Timothy Smith, the historian of our church, I learned something different, that there was more to it than that. Our founder said from this verse, Can any good thinker from Nazareth, a poor, a peasant town, marginalized people of society? Our founder said, We want to be the church of the Nazarene, the poor, the hurting, the peasants, the marginalized, the needy. I remember a lady said to me once when I told the story, Do you think we should change our name? I said, No, I think we should get back to our roots. And so Nathaniel says, give me a break. He knew his Old Testament well. There was nothing about the Messiah coming from Nazareth. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? I love, I love Philip's response. He was wise. He used Jesus' same invitation. Come and see. I'm not going to argue with you. Just take a look. What if we just invited people? Just why don't you come and see? See what you think? Huh. The next part of the story is what helps us maybe more than anything else today. Well, here's a true Israelite. No deceit in you, is there Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Think about it. If if you're a guy with, there's no dishonesty, there's no impurity in your heart, no deceit within you. Nathaniel, you're not a hypocrite, are you? You don't make false pretenses. You don't claim to be somebody you're not. You don't appear to be somebody else. You're truly a good guy, aren't you? You don't talk to people about that. By the way, have you ever noticed what of a good guy I am? But somebody says to him, I know who you are. And he says, you truly are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. You're the Messiah. You don't have to impress them. When you get them to Jesus, Jesus will impress them. You don't have to have a profound impact on their life. When you get them to Jesus, Jesus will have a profound impact on their life. Here's what's hard. Some people are receptive, the soil that is receptive. There is some soil that is rocky, not receptive. Nobody comes into the presence of Jesus and not experience a profound impact. Jesus is impressive. We probably aren't all that impressive. Went back to Cincinnati to see uh, my daughter Brittany and my son-in-law Tim. And my little granddaughter Sadie, but mostly we just went to see Sadie. (laughs) And while we were in Cincinnati, one of the perks of having Britt still there is that we have lots of friends there from the church we pastored, and we get to see a lot of those friends at times. It's awesome. And I got news that our friend Ronnie Basham had just been diagnosed with cancer, actually, leukemia, and it was a bad diagnosis. So I got up early one morning, ran downtown to the hospital to see Ronnie. There was only one Ronnie. It's like when you go to a church, you realize that there'll be a person in this church that reminds me of somebody. Like, we have a lady named Sherry Gilliland here. She's just like Cindy Lothar at the other church. You just kind of put people like that, you know. But there will never be another Ronnie Basham. He is it. First time he ever ate a Krispy Kreme donut, he ate 37 in one day. So... Just one story to let you in on what kind of guy Ronnie is. It's all or nothing with Ronnie. 37. I told the story once, not making this up. I don't make anything up, but I'm not making this up either. <laughs> told the story about him eating 37 donuts one day. It seemed too unbelievable, and so I reduced it to 26, 25 rather. He called me that night and said, I ran into these people at Walmart that you told my story to. If you're going to tell it, get it right. It wasn't 26, 5 rather, It was 37. So here he is in the hospital, bad diagnosis. I go to lift him up. I want to encourage him, you know. You know what happens, right? It's the opposite. Before I leave, he says to me, his son Doug is there with him. Pastor, you remember? You remember it was Doug when he was six years old? We went to church with my mom because it was Mother's Day. Ronnie wasn't a Christian. And the invitation is given at the end of the service and Doug goes to the altar. And my mother says, that's your son at the altar. You should go pray with him. You should go, not me. It's your son. You should go, Ron. You should go pray with your son. You should go down and you should ask your son how you could pray for him. And he said, I was everything to my son. I was his coach. I was his best friend. I was everything to my son. And I go down there and I said, son, what are you praying for? And he said, dad, I want you to become a Christian. He said, I couldn't handle it. I fell across that altar and I told Jesus I was sorry and I would follow him all of my life. And my mother came down and prayed for me. She said, my mother, who had the kind of prayer power, she prayed an apartment complex would burn once and it did. She was praying for me that day. He said, Jesus changed my life. I mean, he's full of testimony. He's full of telling people about Jesus. He changed me. Never been the same, Rick. So let me go back to the story. Okay, hold on to that. It's significant. Philip, (laughs) you believe I'm the Messiah because I told you I saw you under that fig tree because I know what's in your heart? You're going to see greater things, Nathaniel. rather. You're going to see the heavens open. I'm talking about revelation here. You ready for revelation? You know what revelation means? You're going to see the heavens open and you're going to see the angels descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. He's going back to Genesis chapter 28 where Jacob is on a journey and Jacob stops because he's tired and he falls asleep. And in the sleep he has a dream. And in the dream there is a ladder. Jacob's ladder... It goes from earth to heaven. Jacob awakes and he says, My goodness, and he names the place Bethel because this is God's house. This is where you meet with God. I was connected by this ladder to God to heaven. And Jesus says, I'm the ladder. I'm the way. But we're just not going to get you away to heaven. We're going to get away for heaven to come to you. I am bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And here's what happened to Ron Basham. God brought heaven into his life. And he reclaimed him and restored him to who he was born to be. And the kingdom of God was established in his life and became evident on earth when you pray, Jesus said, pray that my kingdom will come. I'm not telling you to pray that you'll be snatched up into heaven. Pray that my kingdom will come. The kingdom of heaven will come into your life. The glory and beauty of heaven you will experience on earth. And so although there is this tension, I know what Jesus can do, but there is this tension inside of me and not knowing always the next steps, but we are encouraged in his word to just invite, come and see. We don't have to impress. Jesus will impress. And not only will He impress, but He will bring the kingdom of heaven into their lives. It will become reality. And they will experience transformation. All right, I'm finished. Almost finished. Just one more minute here. You can imagine what it was like for Annette and I when we came here for the first time in 2012. It was Easter Sunday morning. I'd never attended this church. So I'm coming on my first Sunday on Easter to preach. You've been here on Easter? So, man, can you imagine? We're leaving the hotel room. I said to Annette, are you nervous? She goes, oh, my goodness. How are you? I said, I hope I can form a sentence when I stand up. We get to the parking lot, and we got out of the car. And in that moment, I begin to feel like I was home. If I can back up, I felt like I was home at the board interview and the staff interview. I've never felt so at home in any church I've ever been a part of. I mean, we just, we're so grateful to be a part of this church. And, and, and I get to lead this church. I get to lead you and your journey. Here's what I find here. I don't find anybody, anybody, anybody. where it's this thing of i got to drag you as a church to come along no here's what I hear from you pastor we want to be better we want to grow in our faith we want to share Jesus we want to be more lead us if you'll lead us we'll come on I mean that's what I get from you all the time would you give it an offering you guys say sure <laughs> would you help me with this everybody says yeah I'll help Pastor, if you lead us, we'll grow. I, I don't feel struggle. And over these last few weeks, I've heard you say to me, we want to be that kind of church where people who don't go to church love to go. We've got to make some changes. This, this is your heart. This is your DNA. This is your cry. It's not like I'm coming to fix something. I'm just coming so we can keep growing and keep getting better. so this morning, I, I think I want you to stay seated, okay? And I want us to, to focus on the words of this song. I, I think this should be our prayer. And maybe, maybe the way we wrap things up today is we just sit still and we just pray this prayer together. I called Kyle the other day and I said, I like this song. Could we sing it? And so why don't you just focus and just stay seated for a minute. Sing or not sing, focus on the words. But let this be a prayer of your heart. Will you do that? And I'll come back up in a minute. your heart. to stand with me this this is our hope and so I leave you with this blessing today okay may the love of God and that is a lot of love do you know that God loves you If you don't truly understand it, pray that God will show you how much He loves you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's a lot of grace, and may the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is a lot of power, unlimited power, unlimited love, unlimited grace be with you. God bless you